words. Today is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Amen and amen. So here it is, Christmas season, finally here. Even for you Scrooges in here, you can't deny it. We're post-Thanksgiving. It's all things Christmas. So go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say Merry Christmas. Turn to your other neighbor, say Merry Christmas. Turn to that stranger right by you, say Merry Christmas. Let's just go ahead and work that Merry Christmas muscle. I don't know about you, but Christmas for me evokes all sorts of memories and emotions. Even though culturally we say this is the most wonderful time of the year, if you minus the stress and the terrible weather, it's the most wonderful time of year. And actually, I still agree with that because it just brings so many great memories. And I think the same goes for a lot of us here. But we also have to grapple with the reality that for our culture at large, Christmas is quickly losing any sort of religious or spiritual meaning. It's still something that we do in mass every single year. Christmas as a holiday that we celebrate is not going away. It is a, and this year it's estimated to be very close to a $900 billion holiday. Did you know that Christmas for developed countries, Christmas is the largest economic stimulus for those nations in the world? It is just a behemoth of something we do culturally. And around 90% of, Mer- of Americans actively celebrate Christmas. And the most recent we d- data we have on these sort of things is from 2019. And in 2019, we saw that the number of Americans who view Christmas as a strongly religious celebration, that has dropped to 35%. So only 35% of the 90% of people in America who celebrate Christmas, only 35% of them see it as a strongly religious holiday. And while that is sad, what's even more concerning for me, or maybe equally I should say, is that that number, 35%, that's dropped from 50% in 2010. So the trajectory is quickly declining on our culture seeing Christmas for anything close to what it actually means. Christmas, Christ Mass, like Catholic Mass. Christmas obviously finds its roots in the birth of Jesus Christ some 2,000 years ago. But this old event from history, the birth of Jesus, for many in our culture, it's, it's become an outdated aspect of the Christmas season rather than, as cliche as it sounds, rather than the central reason. And so this sermon series, church, is about us trying to reverse that. We here at Peace Church, this is going to be our attempt to try to reverse this in our culture as we look at vintage Christmas, back to when Christmas meant something. I don't mean the 1950s. I mean back to a time where Christmas was what it is, a celebration of the birth of our Savior. And so we're going to be reminding ourselves why we celebrate this holiday as we go through a series called Vintage Christmas, looking at what was old be made new again for a new generation. So here's what we're going to do in this sermon series. Every message in this series, we're going to look at a different prophecy from Scripture that points to the birth of Jesus. We're going to look at the prophecy given to Isaiah, the prophecy given to Micah, prophecy given to Joseph, to Mary. On Christmas Eve, our our four-service Christmas Eve day, 
We're going to look at the Christmas prophecy given to Satan. But today, today we're going to look at the Christmas prophecy given to King David. So if you have your Bible, would you please go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to look at how these fulfilled prophecies, because Jesus has been born, how do these fulfilled prophecies still speak to us today? We're going to have a vintage Christmas as we look at the old made new again. So as you're turning in your Bibles, and hopefully you are, 2 Samuel chapter 7, if you love the Bible, you need to understand 2 Samuel chapter 7 is a paramount chapter in the Bible. It is extremely significant. What we see in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is we see God make his everlasting covenant with King David and the descendant of King David. It is a phenomenal, and yes, it's the same King David who wrote half the Psalms, the same King David who killed Goliath. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is where God makes his covenantal, eternal promises with David. It's the promise that God will establish a kingship under him and a throne that will last forever, and that God's people as represented through David, they will be made secure forever because of this kingship. But, I'll, but you're going to find out today, this is, this is actually a notoriously tricky prophecy. There's a lot of debate around who is actually this prophecy referring to. So we're going to get into it today as we see how I believe this prophecy still speaks to us. Even though this prophecy was given 3,000 years ago, fulfilled 2,000 years ago, still speaks to us. So hopefully you are now to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We'll read verses 12 to 17. Would you hear the word of the Lord? This is God's word given to King David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Let's pray and let's continue. Father God in heaven above, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, for what you've done in our lives and what you're doing in this world. We thank you that your word still speaks to us today, even though this is a prophecy from 3,000 years ago, a prophecy fulfilled 2,000 years ago. Lord, we thank you that by the power and presence of your spirit, this is something that still speaks. So help us to hear this. Help us to have hearts open and ready to hear and receive the gospel. Lord, guard my mouth from speaking things that may be untrue or not helpful for this congregation. Lord, help us that we might honor and celebrate Christmas for what it truly means, that we would not lose sight that Christmas is not just seasonal, but it's eternal. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus the Christ child. And everyone said, amen and amen. So vintage Christmas, the old made new. Let's get to it. Let's talk about prophecy for a moment. This is a difficult thing for Western enlightened Americans. Understanding prophecy and how it works, it just is not part of how we think about the fabric of reality. 
So this prophecy is one that gets us very confused very quickly. So let's talk about it for a moment. What we have in this prophecy is both a local fulfillment and an eternal fulfillment. So let's see what I mean here. Let's read verses 12 and 13 together. God says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, that's a nice way of saying when you're dead, when you're dead, I will raise up your offspring after you, whom shall come before your body, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So, so locally, more immediately, this prophecy is speaking about David's son, King Solomon. King Solomon was the one who finished the temple, the house for God. And yet Solomon died. How could his throne last forever? And so the reason that we start, we start to, to ask questions like this is because our Western-minded, enlightened minds, that's how we think. We don't even realize that's how we do it because it's, just, just, it's a normal pattern of our life. This is how we engage the world, through a Western-minded, logical, linear sequence. But that's not how all of human history thought or wrote. And that's what we have here in the Scripture. So the problem is not with Scripture. The problem is how we, as Western-minded, enlightened, logical, linear thinkers, approach this. We're the ones that need to be corrected, not Scripture. So let's talk about what's happening here. Again, this is locally speaking about Solomon, but Solomon died. If you go to, to Israel today, Israel is not ruled by a king coming from the lineage of David and Solomon. Because a prophecy is like a diamond. It has many different sides and shines in many different ways. Part of this prophecy does refer to David's natural and immediate descendant, his son Solomon. But the eternal or ultimate prophecy refers to another one of his descendants. I think you might know his name. It is Jesus Christ, who comes from the lineage of King David. Wanting this prophecy to be succinct and linear, again, is a way that we think as Western-minded Americans. We are enlightened to think this way, but not every writing in history has that framework. So we have to understand the context. Not every prophecy is going to fit into a nice little linear logical box like we like it to be. When looking at this prophecy of David's offspring, the question is not, is this prophecy about King Solomon or Jesus Christ? The question is, is how is this fulfilled in Solomon, but ultimately fulfilled in Jesus? It's not an either or, it's a both and. So let's look at this prophecy and see how it tells us about keeping Christmas the central theme of this season and in our hearts and our lives. As we walk through our passage, we're going to look at two things here today that I think our scripture reminds us of, specifically around Christmas time. First thing is this. Christmas is not just about giving presents to each other, but giving glory to God. Second thing I think we're going to see is that Christmas is not just about nostalgic sentiment, but never-ending security. I know this is a stressful time of year, but if you're feeling a stress around Christmas, it's not a stress that comes from the true meaning of this holiday. The true meaning of this holiday is to give us joy and freedom and security. So let's get to it. First thing, Christmas is not just about giving presents to each other, but about giving glory to God. And many people will say that is the issue. This is the issue of our day. That we, we have a godless society and we've taken Christ out of Christmas. This is exactly the problem that we're dealing with. Okay, fair enough. Well, Christian, I'm going to ask you, 
how is your celebration of Christmas any different? I mean, if we've taken, if the culture's taking Christ out of Christmas, how, are, how is your Christmas celebration going to show that there is Christ in Christmas? How is your celebration going to be really any different than your non-Christian neighbors? The fact that you may come to three of the four church services this month? What ways are we truly celebrating Christmas that shows that Christ is in Christmas? Are we truly any different than our fellow Americans? For those of us in the house who are Americans, let's see how well we know our country and the state of our economy. And let's see if it reflects you at all. So here's a question for you. This year, what are Americans, what is the average adult American planning on spending on Christmas this year? The average adult American. Turn to your neighbor, give them a dollar amount that you think they're going to budget this for this year. The average adult American. All right, I'll give you the answer. The average adult American is budgeting around $1,000 this year. The, uh, the survey is somewhere between $930 and $990. Either way, just round up about $1,000. How does that relate to your budget? That means married couples, that's $2,000. Okay. Okay, so what are we buying? $900 billion holiday, what are we buying? What are we spending this $1,000 on? I'm going to give you the top three categories for Christmas gifts this year, and I want you to put them in order of most money spent to least. These are the top three, may or may not be in order. Toys, clothing slash accessories, or gift cards. Put them in order real quick. Chapel and venue online. Let me know what you think. All right, ready? Drum roll, please. Oh, or Kara actually do it, that's great. <laughs> this is why you're my favorite service, don't tell the other two. <laughs> Here we go, ready? Number one thing is clothing and accessories. Crazy. This is according to the National Retail Federation. Clothing accessories, then gift cards, major business, and then toys. How does that relate to you and how you'll spend your money this Christmas? Here's where you need to begin to ask yourselves, are we really any different? You know this. When it comes to Christmas, spending money and giving gifts is such a culturally ingrained part of the holiday, it's just assumed. No one batted an eye when I talked about spending money and getting gifts. This is a surprise to no one. But here's what I want you to know. Christmas is is about giving. It is about giving. On that night that Jesus Christ was born, the angels declared, for unto you a child has been born. The most famous Bible passage, the most famous Bible verse in all of Scripture is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he he gave. Jesus Christ coming to earth is God giving his son to us. 
so that we might have salvation in his name. Christmas is about giving, but here is what we are not giving that we should be giving. We should be giving God the glory. But that purpose of Christmas is lost on a culture that does nothing but to seek to glorify ourselves. The, the onset of social media has proven this without question. We love to give glory. We just love to give glory to ourselves. When Christmas should be about giving God the glory. Let's look at this prophecy again. That, that, that God gave to David through the prophet Nathaniel. 2 Samuel 7. When your days are fulfilled... And you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Okay, as you look at these verses, who is doing the primary action here? God is. God is doing the primary action. Even as Solomon has prophesied to, to build God's house, meaning the temple, and the later fulfillment that Jesus Christ builds the church, which is God's kingdom, it's still a product of what God has done. God has raised up Solomon to build a temple, which Solomon did years later, and God sent Jesus who started the church. The action of this prophecy is all God. Look at these lines. I will raise up your offspring. I will establish his kingdom. I will establish his throne. And look at this verse. The house that God raises Solomon up to build God says it will be a house, and you can underline this if you do that in your Bibles. God says it will be a house for my name. And that's because God gets the glory. Why? Because God does the action. That's why God is worthy of it, because he is the one who provides the action. He does the heavy lifting, so he gets the glory, because it's all God's work anyway. And the Christian in the house will understand that this is the gospel. The gospel is that God does for us what we could not do for ourselves. God is the one who acts for our good. And there is no gospel without Christmas morning that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He lived the life of perfect love and perfect obedience, the life that we should have lived. And because we did not do that, we have a life of sin. And we should pay the penalty for that sin, but this is another thing that Jesus did for us. He lived the life that we should have lived and he also died the death that we should have died for our sin. This is the gospel, that God does all the work, therefore God gets all the glory. And so church, this Christmas as we give presents, make sure you are giving what you should be giving and that is glory to God. This is how we put Christ back in Christmas. So men, with your families, remind them the greatest gift we have is God giving us his son. We're going to talk more about how we put Christ back in Christmas in just a moment. But let's go to our second notion. Second thing we see here is that Christmas is not just about, um, let's go here. Christmas is not just about nostalgic sentiment, but never-ending security. Not about, just about nostalgic sentiment, it's about never-ending security. Church, if you know me, if you know me personally, you probably know that I am nostalgic and sentimental to a fault. Anybody else like that? Okay, most of you have stone hearts. Okay. <laughs> I grew up 
One of the things that I loved about Christmas time when growing up was I loved the Christmas movies that would always play. They weren't on demand. You had to like mark out a day in your calendar. Uh, CBS Channel 3, watching Christmas movies. Anyone know what I'm talking about? All right, so for these three uh, classic childhood Christmas movies, I'm curious, do you, do you know these ones? All right, turn to your neighbor. Which, one's your, which one was your favorite? Uh, see, you all think the answer is Charlie Brown because of the great gospel message, right? No, you're all right. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, you want to know my favorite? Rudolph. What's all depressed about that? And I'll tell you why. Because when I see that little claymation red-nosed reindeer, do you want to know what happens? I become six years old again. And I think about going to my grandma's house and seeing her Christmas tree, which was always the most beautiful. And I think about the house I grew up in on Parmalee Road and those wood panel basement and the fireplace and and the stockings. And I think about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer on Channel 3 during Christmas time. It just, it brings up this sentimental, nostalgic feeling to me. But, But is that all Christmas is? Nostalgia and sentimental feeling? Is that really all that Christmas is? Is a, a time of reminiscing? Is there nothing more to Christmas than just sentiment? Because apparently to our culture, that's all it is. It's a reason to spend money and get together. But isn't there more? So what about us? Is it more to us? As I said at the top of the sermon, only one-third of the people who actually celebrate Christmas understand that it has a significant religious meaning to it. So do the math. That means two-thirds of people who are not celebrating Christmas, it has no real meaning to them other than the memories it makes and the way it makes you feel in the moment. And so here's what happened. We continue to spend more money every single year to ensure we have those great feelings. But that's all it ultimately is to a culture that does not embrace the message of Jesus. And that's the power of Christmas, that it's Christ's Mass is the celebration of him. Christmas is not just a time to reminisce. It's a time to be reminded of what we have in Christ. And that is never-ending security, which we have forever. Christmas is not just about nostalgic sentiment, but about never-ending security. So let's look at why. Let's look at verses 14 to 16 together. Let's get our Bibles. Uh, Let's know our Bibles a little bit better. Verse 14. The prophecy goes on to say, I will be a father, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. So, people who love the Bible, is this speaking about Jesus or Solomon? Many would say Solomon because of the second half of this verse. Look, it's up there. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. Well, this can't be about Jesus, right? Because Jesus never sinned. The Bible tells us that Jesus never committed iniquity. And yet this very passage is quoted in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 3 to 5 quotes this prophecy as a prophecy of Christ. 
the Bible validates that this is ultimately about Jesus, although it does not quote this verse. It quotes this part. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Yes, Jesus Christ is God the Son, the Son of God made flesh, the second member of the Trinity. And so what about this line here? What do we do with this? When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of men. It's true. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never committed iniquity. But he did suffer for it. Except he didn't suffer for his own iniquity. He suffered for ours. He took our sin and paid the penalty for our iniquity, not his own. He was beaten with thick wooden rods and he was whipped not just with any old whip, but Roman cat of nine tails that were sharp and metal and would tear open his flesh until his bones and his inner organs were exposed. You best believe he was beaten for our transgressions, for our iniquity. Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to fulfill this prophecy in all of its fullness, taking our punishment for our sins, even though he was one without sin. So that once and for all, by the blood of Jesus, all of sins would be covered. For those who place their faith in Jesus, our sins are covered and atoned for. God is giving us never-ending security. This goes on. This even gets better. Verse 15. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul. Saul was a previous failed king of Israel, whom I put away from before you. So here's, here's where we got to continue to turn the diamond of prophecy here for a moment. This love that God talks about being placed upon David's offspring is also, this, is also representative of us. God's steadfast love is for David's descendant, the king, and by extension, the kingdom, meaning us. God's love for those of us who are in Christ will never be taken away. It's a never-ending love. It will never depart from us. Yes, we should be feeling immense weight around Christmas time, but that weight should not be the stress of holiday family gatherings. It should be the weight of the joy that we have knowing that Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves, and it started when he was born a human baby boy. This is why we get to celebrate Christmas, and this is why we should celebrate Christmas. It's the never-ending celebration of our place in God's kingdom under the kingship of King Jesus. And the beauty is this, that God's love is upon us forever. Now I know, and you know in our society, we have this phrase. You finish this phrase for me, okay? Never say, never, never say never. We're taught, to, we're taught to never speak in these like forever, eternal type language with these words. And yet this passage is absolutely laced in this language. Let's look at verse 16. Turn to verse 16 in your Bibles. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure. What's the word there? Forever before me. Your throne shall be established. Say it with me. Forever. The promise and the covenant that God extends is immense. And I think this is another area where this is hard, especially for 21st century Americans. This is hard for us to grapple with. Because we are the kings of the world. At least we like to think we are. 
We like to think that the world revolves around us in our timeline, that we call the shots, that we're the ones in control, that everything works according to our plan. And this is where we need to be humbled and remind ourselves that we are a part of God's plan. And God's plan is bigger than any one human life. What God is doing in this world, you get to be a part of, but it's bigger than you. It's bigger than my life. And this is a beautiful thing. You want it to be bigger than our finite human 70 to 100 years or whatever we get. This is a beautiful part about this, that God works in the realm of forever and eternal. The promise of God's covenant extends beyond any one human lifetime. And so Christmas, to truly understand what it means, is to understand the eternal nature, the forever aspect of what it represents. When we talk about the meaning and implications of Christmas, it is not an overstatement to use the word forever. And so when we talk about vintage Christmas, this holiday season, we're talking about vintage, meaning reaching into the, into the past and grabbing that meaning and making what is old new again. Because the next generations are losing the meaning and now it's our time to share what Christmas really means. And so let me leave you with this. Let me leave you with this challenge as we start this Christmas season. If you want Christmas to mean more to our culture than what it does, then say it. If you want Christmas to mean more to our culture than what it does, then you need to say something. Then you need to say what the meaning is. Listen, if you believe what I'm about to say, please say amen. But Christmas has meaning whether or not our culture wants to celebrate it. Amen? Yeah. Amen. But for those who know the true meaning of Christmas, who truly know what this represents, this is hard to watch. It's hard to watch this beautiful, big, all-consuming, glittering lights, decorations everywhere, talk of Christmas. And again, now that we're post-Thanksgiving, like all bets are off. It's everything is going to be Christmas. And yet everywhere we look, it seems so hollow because it's without Christ. And as cliche as this sounds, it feels hollow because there's no Christ in Christmas. And so Christians in the house, who but us is going to change this? Do you hear me? Who but us is going to change this? If you want Christmas to mean more to our culture than what it does, it's up to us to say something. This entire passage we've been reading is prophecy. Okay, let's remember this for a moment. This is a word of the Lord given to King David. But how? How? How is this prophecy relayed to King David? Well, verse 17 shows us. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Oh, church, don't, don't move past the simple verses in Scripture. The reason we are reading these words 3,000 years later is because Nathan spoke to David. In accordance with God's word, in accordance with the vision he was given, Nathan spoke to David. 
God spoke through his prophet Nathan to tell King David what was to come because this is so often how God works. God has given us his word through the scripture and now it's up to his people to share this word. The message is given through God's people. The Bible says, how wonderful are the feet of those who bring good news, who bring the gospel. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with this vision, Nathan spoke to David. And let's just... Shoot straight here for a moment, church, shall we? We live in a time where communication is at its easiest. There are so many means available to communication before us, I can't even get a handle on it. The people who call me, text me, Facebook me, message me, I mean, like, leave me notes, like, the modes of communication are endless. Communication is easier than it's ever been in the history of the world And yet Christians aren't using any of those means to share the gospel. At least the vast majority aren't. And then we sit and wonder and lament about the state of our culture. Church, if you want Christmas to mean more to our culture than what it does, then you need to say something. Otherwise, you don't get to complain. Nathan spoke to David. You're not David in this scenario. But you do have an example in Nathan. It is our turn to say something. The previous generations clearly weren't. That's why we've gone from understanding what Christmas meant to only half of us to now a third. I don't even know what the next generation will mean, but I know it's our time to stop it and to bring a meaning back to Christmas. And it happens when those who call on the name of Christ actually speak the name of Christ. You've got the words. It's the scripture It's the gospel message. You speak in accordance with God's word, with the vision God's given you, and here's how that's going to work right now. I want you to think for a moment. Who in your life, who in your proximity, who do you interact with, who needs to hear the gospel message? That person who just came to mind, that was God giving you a vision for who he wants you to speak to this week. So in accordance with the word that God's given you, And the vision of the person he just put into your head, you speak to them. That is how we begin to bring Christ back to Christmas. This is how we bring glory to God. This is how we fulfill the great responsibility that we have for those who call on the name of Jesus, that we get to speak the name of Jesus. And so church, if you want Christmas to mean more to our culture than what it does, then say it with the power of of the Spirit given to you, knowing the story that Christmas has and given to us, you go and share this message. Amen.